0: talk again about one of those miracles tonight. Your Bibles are going to Luke chapter 9. Um, we're gonna read verse 13 at the start and as is our tradition I guess now let's go through the story. Verse by verse But Luke um, 9 and 13 of you your Bibles will stay most mostly in there chapter 9 for the rest of the evening. Luke 9 and 13, it says, But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. So my spectacular title this evening is You Feed Them. Let's just pray again. Before we get into this. I know this is a story most of us know. We've heard it. We went to Sunday school several times, but um, hopefully we'll maybe get something new out of it tonight. But let's just pray um, again. Jesus, hallelujah! You are great, God. You do miracles so great there is no one like you, Jesus. I pray tonight, God, that you would speak to us through your word and this the story and this miracle that you did, I pray, in Jesus' name, God, you would just speak to our hearts tonight, God, I pray, call us, draw us close to you, let your will be done, I pray, in Jesus' name, God, we give you all the praise, all the glory, you are worthy, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, you can sit or kneel or squat, I don't know, um, so last, on Sunday, we talked about the sinner woman. Who came and crashed Simon's party and then we're gonna be skipping we're gonna skip a few stories I'll just tell you all the things you're gonna miss because we're kind of going through the book of Luke and um, we're not gonna be able to hit everything in it because there's so many things that happened so in between the story of the sinner woman and the story tonight there's um, it talks about the women with Jesus who helped him Mary Magdalene talks about her and some others that supported his ministry Jesus teaches a, a parable about a sower that sows seeds um, tells uh, people the purpose of parables. Tells another parable about a, a lamp under a jar or this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I was hard not to do that one. Um, people come to him and say, oh, your brothers are here. Your family's here. And he says, no, this is my family. All these people are my family. So he talks about his family. Um, there's a storm that comes. Jesus is falling or sleeping on a boat. And uh, his disciples wake him up. He calms that storm. Um, then they get to the... The other side of the where they're going, and there's a a demon possessed guy in a graveyard. He sets him free, um, and then they kick him out. He goes somewhere else, goes back across. He lands, Jairus meets him, and he's like, Oh, you got to come heal my daughter. And I've preached from all these stories already, so we're just kind of skipping them. and uh, on his way, there's a woman who has an issue of blood, and she says, I just need to touch the hem of his garment. And she, she does that, and she's healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? And they're like, you're crazy. Everyone's around you. And he's like, no, I felt the virtue, oh, or whatever. And, and, um, and then he you know talks to her, goes to Jairus' his house. His little girl's dead. By the time they get there, heals her, brings her back to life. And then all that stuff happens. And then... He, beginning of chapter 9, he sends the disciples out into the towns and villages, 12 of them, to preach. And he, We'll talk about that a bit. And then Herod hears about Jesus, another Herod, not the one from when he was a baby. Um, he gets a little confused because he's like, I thought I killed John the Baptist. Who's this guy? i got to watch out for now. And so this, this is where we are. These are all the things that happened in between. And so we come to this story, and it's a well-known story. And the problem with preaching from well-known stories or teaching from well-known stories is that sometimes we tune out because we know the story and we know everything the preacher is going to say. And so for the next 30 minutes, please don't do that or try not to do that. Okay, just give me the benefit of the doubt. So Jesus has been, up to now, he's been traveling around, he's been healing people, he's been teaching, he's been doing some incredible things. He's calmed the storm. Uh, he's raised two people from the dead so far. He's cast out devils here and there. He's taught some revolutionary things. He sent out his 12 disciples to preach the good news, and and uh, you know Herod gets a little upset. We said, and and his fame is spreading. Um, it starts from the synagogues. And it starts basically in Capernaum, and it goes and goes and goes. And it's reached the palaces where Herod is. It's got to the Roman centurions, um, and it's just spreading from town to town. His fame is growing. When we come to the story, the feeding of the 5,000, we call it, and it's recorded in all four Gospels. Each one adds a little bit something different. Um, John mentions Philip and Andrew and the lad, and Mark talks about the groups that they sat them in. Matthew says that Jesus is out in the wilderness because he heard of the death of John the Baptist, and he was saddened by it, and that's why he went out. And so we're going to use Luke's, maybe I'll draw a little bit from the others, but because that's what we've been focused on. So let's, let's get into it. We're all okay still? I know I just kind of talked really fast. But that's what I do sometimes. Should have been an auctioneer. Luke 9 and 10. And the apostles, when they were returned, told them all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And so, so he sent the 12 disciples out into the villages to preach. And they come back from their little preaching, the little outreach endeavor or journey, and they tell Jesus all the, everything that they've seen, everything that they've done. And I've been able to be part of a few outreaches where you go door to door and knock and invite people to church. They made us do it in Bible school, or actually we wouldn't in invite people to church because trying to do something different so we would ask them if they had anything they wanted us to pray about and then get their information we'd follow up on it and um, whatever, something like that we would do that, we have done that a few times um, with youth groups and stuff, we would try these outreaches and been a few, part of them Part been a part of a few of them <laughs> um, in France, we went on a mission trip to France, we did a prayer walk um, that was probably my favorite because it's, it was just completely different and new, and, and uh, we heard all these things about the city, and we saw all these cool things, and, and, um, and there's this moment when everyone gets back from this. We did this uh, a couple summers ago. We sent all the girls were here, and we sent them out um, to do a prayer walk, and, and there's something, when you come back, um, yeah. there's, there's this moment when come, everyone comes back, and they're all excited. They're like, Oh, man. Guess what we saw? And everyone's talking over everyone else and they're telling stories. Like, guess what happened? We you know we prayed with this guy, this incredible thing happened, or we met this weirdo. <laughs> Those are the best stories. And there's always something, and everyone's excited, and, and the disciples I imagine were like that. When they they all come back together, they've come back from their little outreach endeavor to all the villages around, and they're telling Jesus about all the things that they they saw on the way and maybe miracles that happened because they had been given authority to do all of these kinds of things that Jesus has been doing already. So Luke 9, 1 to 2, this is when he sends them out. It says, and, and he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So this is what they were sent out to do. And so no doubt when they got back to Jesus they were pretty pumped up about some of the things that had happened. If any of these things had happened, I imagine they were pretty excited. Even if some of them took place. Because up till now, Jesus was the one that was doing everything. Right? All these stories we've talked about, it's Jesus. The disciples are just there. They're just kind of, I don't know, they're there. But now, he sends them out. And he's teaching them to work. Under him, of course, it says he gave them power and authority. They're working under him. And then he takes them away privately to a desert type place in the outskirts of Bethsaida. Because as exciting as these times are, as exciting as these moments of testimony are, these outreach things that we do, or or seeing healings, or seeing devils cast out, and all this stuff as exciting as that is, we still need alone time with Jesus. It was during these times of alone time that he would he taught them, and he spoke to them, and he, he, he put things into them. And it was during these times. And we see the miracles, and we talk about those. And we, that's what we've been talking about. We see all the incredible things. But they wouldn't have happened without these times alone with Jesus. And we can't skip the alone time or the prayer time. Because, you know, and just expect Jesus to do all these miracles. it doesn't really happen that way. We need to take this time to be alone. So that's what they're doing. Um, but that, that doesn't last long in the story. So they go out to the, the wilderness outside of Bethsaida. And verse 11 says, And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. So as soon as the people of Bethsaida, or the people around that, the desert area, heard or they knew that Jesus was near, they followed him on out. Jesus is trying to have some time with his disciples, but someone else hears about it and they just come on out. And I don't know if somebody saw them out there. I don't know if there was some guy, you know, riding a camel through. and was like, oh, I guess I saw a crowd out there. It must have been Jesus and his disciples. I don't know. I don't know how they knew that they were there, but somehow word got to town that Jesus was near. And what was their response? Let's go. Jesus is near, let's go. And sometimes we demand Jesus to come to us, but it's also our job to draw near to him, too. Just a little, little tip there. So all of all these people, they come out and they basically crash Jesus' little session with his disciples. But well, these people that come, they have needs. And these people need healing. These people are hungry, literally for food and hungry. For a word from God. And so they all head out to the desert. And what did Jesus do? What was his response? When they came out and they kind of, you know, he wanted some privacy with his disciples. When these people all came, what did he do? It says he received them. Even though they weren't necessarily invited, just like the woman we talked about on Sunday, she showed up at Simon's house uninvited. Jesus doesn't turn away people that come to him. He received them. And then he teaches them and he tells them about the kingdom of God. And then he heals whoever needs to be healed. And this is pretty awesome stuff so far. You know, we need Jesus. He's near. Come to him. He won't turn you away. These are all good things that we need to know. We're not even going to do the good part yet. But these stories, are so much stuff in them. I know we hear them over and over and over. There's so many lessons we can get from them. Verse 12, it says, And when... The day began to wear away. Then came the twelve. their disciples. And said unto him. Send the multitude away. That they may go into the towns and country round about. And lodge and get victuals. For we are here in a desert place. Send them out. Let them get some victuals. It starts to get late. And time passes and the day is ending as days often do. And his wise disciples say to Jesus, they say, Hey, send these people away. Let them go. You got to dismiss them soon. Let them go to the nearest towns and villages so they can find a place to stay and get something to eat. We are in a desert. They're not wrong, right? Honestly, they're not wrong. It was dark, it was getting dark. Um, the day was ending. It was—you don't want to be out in the desert at night. That's cold. It's one thing. It's not safe. It's another. They didn't have enough to feed everyone. It's another problem. They didn't have a place for everyone to stay. They were worried about what would happen to these people. As you remember, we talked before about how it wasn't safe to travel at night. They were worried about these people getting home safely, and about these people getting something to eat. And I mean, how would it look to everyone, all the people that are out against Jesus now, the Pharisees and all those guys, how would it look to all those people if, say, Jesus had everyone out in the desert and then he let them go hungry in the dark and something happened to them, right? I was robbed. Well, why are you out so late? listening to Jesus? It's his fault. He wouldn't stop talking. But that wouldn't look good, right? So they're worried about their... Physical needs. They're worried about these people. And, and Jesus is ministering to their souls, but they're worried about the, the practical, and that's fine. There's always a practical side of things. And in John, John's version in John six, five to seven, it says, When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that all these may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread isn't sufficient for them and not every one of them may have um, may take a little. And there's a guy, Philip, and Philip is one of his disciples and Philip's already done the math in his head. He's like, he already, Jesus asked him, he's like, you know what? We don't, if we had this much money, we could buy some bread, but it wouldn't even be enough for everyone. Like Philip's already working it in his head. He's very practical. He's ahead of the game. And the practical will always be among us and keep us balanced, some of us float on dreams and ideas and others deal in facts and logic and that's okay. We need both of us to make this work. We're all different. Jesus called Philip and Jesus called Peter. They were both disciples. They were both called. They are both anointed. They are both used. But Philip's head is where most of the disciples' head is at in this story. Um, Jesus has just sent them out. They've just started doing things on their own, if you will. Up till now, it's been a lot of Jesus did this. Jesus did that. And the disciples were just kind of there. And now things in this story, they start to shift. And he sent the disciples out alone at the beginning of this chapter without him to preach, to heal, to pray, to do all these things. And he's starting to use the disciples now. And now we have this crowd of 5,000 plus people gathered and the disciples Try to show some sort of initiative. Try to take some sort of initiative. And they say, like, Jesus, you're going to have to send these guys home. There's too many people to take care of. Philip knows how much money it's going to take to feed them all, right? They're trying to show them, like, you know, we've, we've got this figured out. You've got you to gotta do something here because this isn't going to work. And they're, they're starting to try to deal with things on their own. There's not a lot from the disciples up till now. They're starting to grow. They're starting to bloom. Or blossom into their own ministry. And you start to see their personalities come out and stuff. And we can say things like, oh, you know, where is their faith? Or whatever. You know, the kind of things we say about biblical characters as if they weren't real people. And we're so much smarter than they are, you know. But I think as far as they were concerned, they were trying to do the right thing. Their heart's in the right place. They're concerned for the people. They're concerned for their health. Their safety. And they're not suggesting this because they just want to get rid of them. You know, so they can have Jesus to themselves again. They're not doing that. They're they're really genuinely concerned about these people. They're suggesting this with the right motives. But Jesus is teaching them something. As I read through this story, again, for the umpteenth dozen time. I don't even know what that means. I looked it up. It doesn't mean anything. My mother used to say it. Umpteenth dozen time. I noticed something different, and I want to share that with you. But there's a shift that's happening here with the disciples and Jesus. After, after all, we know that Jesus will soon be crucified and, and, and die and be buried and, and rise again and then ascend to heaven and send the Holy Ghost back and all of that. And Jesus knows this is going to happen, but the disciples, they don't. And his plan isn't just for them to sit back and watch him for three years and then hope that they can take over whenever he's gone. Um, We ever started a new job. In the first week or two, the most important person in that place is your trainer. Whoever they are, whatever your job is, the trainer is the most important person there. They will show you how to do that job, how things work. They'll show you what to do, how to do it. They may even show you how not to do it. Um, How to be the most effective. Some of them will show you how to cut corners. (laughs) No. But the best trainers are the ones who show you and then let you do it. Some will say, oh, just watch me. And then they do it really fast. And they, okay, see, that's how that's done. Now we'll do the next thing. And then they're they're like, I don't know what is going on here. Right? Has that ever happened to anyone? It's frustrating. This is how you do it. And they never let you do anything. Then all of a sudden you're on your own and you can't remember how to do anything because you've never done it. You've just been paid to follow this person around for a week or two or whatever. You just walk someone else, whip through it, and you don't know how to do it. And studies show that when you get your hands dirty, when you do the thing, yourself, with someone else coaching you and helping you, you're more likely to remember and to know how to do it when you find yourself on your own. So up till now, it's been mostly the disciples watching while Jesus does the work. He's been, he's been healing. He's been delivering. He's been working and moving, and doing all these things. He's just sent them out to try to do it on their own and see how it works. And, and while the disciples have just been around kind of like his, his bodyguard, maybe, or his entourage or whatever, they're just kind of there. Until chapter 9. In chapter 9, he sends them out for the first time. And for the first time, they get their hands dirty and they do something. For the first time, they're the ones doing something. And they go. And they preach. And they heal through his authority. And they see miracles. And they lay hands on people. They're doing some work. Alright? So there's a shift taking place. So if we bear that in mind, verse 13. So they've come to Jesus and they've said, you know, we've got to send these people home. There's nothing, we, we don't have food for them or whatever. And Jesus says in verse 13, but he said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they said, we have, a, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes except we go and buy meat for all these people. English Standard, it says, but he said unto them, you give them something to eat. The disciples come to Jesus with a problem. They come to him with this scenario. They said, these people... They need to go home. These people, they're going to starve. These people need something to eat. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough stuff. Let them go so they can get something to eat. We're in the desert, man. And then what does Jesus say to them? He says, okay, you give them something to eat. You give them you do it and all my life as many times have i heard i've heard this story preached from i've never noticed that jesus tells his disciples okay you give me a problem you've presented me with a need good now you do something about it they're hungry okay you feed them you see what's happening here this is just after he sent them out to work in his name Verse 1 and 2 again in the English standard. It says, He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, right? Things are changing. And up till now, they've just been watching him work, but that's not his plan. His plan is to work through them or to use them. And his plan hasn't changed. You do it, you feed them. And it's still. Like this, and a lot of times we just hope Jesus will show up and do the work or the thing, and we we pray for revival or whatever, and we hope that things will happen and the church will miraculously grow and people will just come off the streets and and they can and they may, and sometimes that does happen, but that's not exactly how it's supposed to work. That's the exception to the rule. What's the Great Commission? He said, "Go, you." ye into all the world not hope the world comes to you said you go you do it you do the thing he's teaching his disciples you speak the word you lay hands on them you say it you preach it you feed them you do it and if we want jesus to work if we want to see the miraculous if you want to see healings and growth and all these things that we talk about and all these things we want to happen it starts with you and me I'm pointing me too it starts with us we need to be the ones that preach the gospel we need to be the ones who pray we need to be the ones who lay hands on them we need to be the ones who feed them. We need to be the ones that do it, who step out, who take the step in faith. It starts with us. And watch what happens. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. They said, all we have are five loaves and two fish. And we know from the other versions that they got this from a little boy. But the disciples were the ones that went and found this boy. They did the work. They went and found some food. They did some work. Verse 14 and 16, it says, For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by 50s and a company. And, and they did so, and they made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break. And he gave to the disciples and set before the multitude. So he says to the disciples, Okay, I'll take your five loaves and two fish. You know, they've done it. They've got it. They've brought it to them. He said, I'll take your five loaves and two fish. You need to take all these people. You need to sit them down in groups of 50. And so they go and they split them up and they corral them into groups and they get them all to sit down, which is not an easy thing to do. There's 12 of them. and There's 5,000 plus people. I don't know if you've ever tried to tell anybody else what to do that doesn't have any clue who you are. They won't listen. Can you imagine this massive crowd of these twelve guys? Hey, you're yeah, not fifty of you. Oh, one, two, three, four. You guys over here, and like, yeah, right. What do you? Can't tell me what to do. You're not Jesus, right? No. There's probably some frustrations. We can't even get people to stay six feet apart. Can you imagine trying to get five thousand people split up into groups and getting them to sit together? I don't want to. They're not the boss of me. I ain't doing it. It's a conspiracy. They're trying to control joking. <laughs> so, okay. But like, can you it's it just kind of glosses over it, but this wouldn't have been an easy thing for them to do. They put all this effort and they put all this work in, they do all this. They split them up, they get them sat down, they they do it. And then Jesus blesses the food, and he gives it to the disciples. And again, the disciples are the ones that give it to the people. Verse 17, and they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up fragments that remained to them, 12 baskets. And everyone ate. Not even just ate. They were filled. They had eaten all day. They were hungry. And they were filled. And there was 12 baskets left over. How do you get 12 baskets left over from five loaves? Two fish. I don't know. Jesus. Jesus did the miracle, but the disciples did the work. He does the miracle, but we do the work. We've seen all through these stories, Jesus responds and Jesus works, but there's always some sort of step of faith. There's always something that is done by the person. The demon-possessed guy in the synagogue, he cries out and Jesus responds. The guy's Um, with the the paralyzed friend they tore a hole in the roof and they let him down and Jesus responded to that the man with the withered hand um, he stood up in the middle of the crowd and and, uh, he stretched out his hand and he was honest about what hand was withered And, and the centurion he sent people and he said you don't even need to come I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house just say the word and it'll happen and Jesus responded to that the widow with the dead son Jesus said weep not then he healed or raised him up. And the sinner woman, she shows up and she presses through all of this stigma that everybody had put on her. And she weeps and she washes his feet and, and dries, it, dries him with his, her hair and anoints his feet and all kinds of things. And we skip some stories, but when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples woke him up. And the demoniac um, and the Gadarenes came running to him. He cried out. Jairus met him and led him to his house. The woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment. And this this story, the disciples, they put in the work. They find the boy. They get the bread and fish. They split up the people and they feed them. There's always something that is done on behalf of someone else who is doing something. Jesus, there's a need. The people are hungry. You feed them. You do it. And this is the point. This is the purpose of this whole message today. Jesus is still the same; he still works the same, and he wants to work through his disciples, through his church. And we're called the body of Christ for a reason, because we're the ones doing the actions. And too often we just kind of hang back and hope things work out, or hope someone else does something, and that's more, or we have more wishful thinking maybe than we have faith, and that's a problem. And the disciples brought a need to Jesus, and he said, Okay, you feed them. Obviously, they couldn't do it. Obviously, they didn't have enough food. That's what they said. We can't do this, Jesus. And he said, You do it anyway. And that wasn't the point. He does the miracle if we do the work. He wanted them to learn that they needed to take that step, they needed to start it. They needed to find a few loaves and, and fish. We come to Jesus with a need, and maybe his response is the same as it was to the disciples all those years ago. You. Feed them. You lay hands on them. You teach them a Bible study. You reach them. You witness to them. You preach the gospel. You pray for them. You feed them. And that's how this is going to work. It's a partnership. Obviously, you can't save a family member. Obviously, you can't give them the Holy Ghost. And obviously, you can't heal them. The disciples couldn't feed all those people on their own when they said, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. And they did what they could. They split them up and they sat them down and Jesus did the rest. But it happened because they did their part. You can't save someone. You can't heal someone. You can't do it at least by yourself. But you can lay hands on them. You can teach them a Bible study. You can reach for them. You can witness to them. You can preach the gospel. You can pray for them, and that's what Jesus is looking for. Jesus, here's a need. Okay, but what are you going to do about it? And when we take that step, that's when he backs it up. And that's when he comes in with the miracle. We do the work, we take the step, he comes in with the rest. When you teach that neighbor a Bible study, that's when he saves them. He'll save them. When you lay hands on that person, that's when You will heal them. When you pray with that addict, that's when he will deliver them. You feed them. I'll provide the miracle, but you feed them. And so praying is important. We need to do that. But also important is taking that step and reaching out, praying for that person in person. Does that make sense? Growth comes when we do the work and let him do the miracle. He's waiting for you to say, well, I have five loaves and two fish. I don't know what you can do with this. But here it is. When we give him what we have, he will do the rest. But we're going to have to do something or it's not going to happen. He said, you feed them. And so let's let this be a challenge. What can I do? I want to see him work. I want to see the miraculous. I want to see the church grow. What do I need to do? How can I feed them? What do I have? What can I give to Jesus? Let's ask ourselves these questions. What what can I do? It may not seem like a lot. There was only five loaves and two fish. That wasn't enough to feed even the disciples. It may not seem like a lot, but he's not looking for a lot. He can provide the lot. He's looking for a step of faith. He's looking for that partnership, someone to work with him. He wants to work through us, but he can only work through us if we work. Matthew 9 and 38, he said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers, people that are going to work into the harvest. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, he said, For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. He said we are laborers together. So he wants to work. He wants to do all these things that we're praying for. We want him to do. We've gone through all these stories and seen all these things that happen. He, hey, he hasn't changed. He can do all these things. But we need to be working with him. You feed them. That's what I got. Let's stand. I hope that made sense. I don't know if you noticed that before or not. If you did, don't tell me. Well, let's um, let's pray again before we go. Let's pray that God would help us with this. We bring needs all the time to Him, and I don't know if He's saying this tonight to us personally about some need you feed them but there's something that we can do we can pray and pray and pray that you know someone will be saved but maybe they just need that someone to teach them a bible study or something like that i'm just you know maybe that person needs healing they just need you to lay hands on them and pray with them i don't know could be something simple like that i don't know Let's just pray uh, again before we go.